Hi everyone, welcome back to What's a Story with Jillian and Shauna. We are at episode 15. It, the episode is called Golden Retrieved. And the book we're going to talk about is Silas Marner. I don't know why I'm like extremely energetic today. Jillian's <laughs> eyes kept widening every time I said something. But it's happening. I'm ready. <laughs> well, I thought this was a good episode. But I just, I did not have the passion that you had. You like texted me like, oh my god, it's going to be so great. And so I'm, I'm ready for you to love this episode. So it's interesting because it wasn't necessarily the episode that got me all hyped. Like I usually look into the book after I've watched the episode, but this time I looked into the book before I watched the episode and I got like deep into it and super interested. And then I watched the episode and then I was like, I might have to read this book for real. <laughs> that's hilarious well that could be a great COVID project for you you can just read Silas Marner and tell me all about it maybe I mean well did you have a relationship with this book besides this I had never heard of this before this episode I was like I was thinking uh maybe it was the guy that spins whatever into gold what yeah Rumpelstiltskin yeah I thought maybe that was it because obviously it had something to do with gold and I was like I don't know. I didn't remember a Rumpelstiltskin episode, but that's fine. Silas Marner, I had never heard of that. Same. I Like, if someone had asked me before I watched the episode, like, have you heard of Silas Marner? I would have thought, like, I don't know, it was, like, my state assemblyman. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> and if they had said it was a book, I really would not have been able to say anything about the plot, like, at all. At all. No. Not, not even a little. Yeah, so the reason why I got super excited was, like, now as an adult, like, the way that I interact with, like, books and TV and stuff like that is I, like, do kind of try to pay attention to themes and, like, how it relates to reality. All the things we were supposed to do in English class, but, like, never really made sense. We weren't interested. We were kids, like, whatever. And... (laughs) As the more I like looked into this and as I watched the episode, I got like really interested in themes and stuff. So the book we're going to talk about is called Silas Marner and it's um, by the author George Eliot, which was the pen name for Marianne Evans, which I'm not sure I knew that was a pen name. Did you know that George Eliot? No, I yeah. don't know. that. Does, I don't know anything else by George Eliot either. So So. I felt that way too. Um, When I looked up what else, she had like six or seven novels published. The two names I recognized were Daniel Deronda, which was her last one. I just recognized the name. And Middlemarch, which you might recognize the name Middlemarch because it's been turned into like a couple of BBC adaptations. You're giving Um, me a lot of credit. (laughs) Okay. No, but I do, I do love a good um, pen name. I think that that's pretty interesting. I think it's kind of bogus how women had to write under men's names, but you know, whatever. I I like that she was a badass and did it anyway. She wrote this in 1861. And right before this, she had written this kind of piece disparaging like contemporary fiction by women of the era, saying that it was really silly, saying that it was undermining like the cause of women's education because a lot of the chick lit of the time, um, she said, 
um, the heroines in those novels were highly educated, but that made them really self-satisfied and tedious. And that the conclusion that the reader comes to is that um, women don't benefit from education. So she was like, and then she, in this essay, like cites all these people who um, were women who are writing uh, really interesting literature, including Charlotte Bronte, who wrote under a pen name. Um, I didn't know that the Bronte sisters all wrote under pen names with the last name Bell. So <laughs> I learned so much. Um, and then I also learned a little bit about pen names recently in literature, um, because there were a lot of women, especially in the Western canon, who like published in English and German and French and stuff under pen um, a, a masculine pen name, but not all those women were like women who presented as women in their daily life. Like some of them did present less femme than we might perceive. Um, so that's something I just never would have thought about before, like, you know, me and this, who I am now and how I approach the world. So I thought it was really interesting. Um, I also thought it was interesting because, uh, I think this might be the first book that we've seen in Wishbone that was definitely written by women. Like we had Shakespeare, which we know, we don't really know like where some of his ideas or stories came from. Um, and Anansi, like we don't really know how like women were involved in storytelling and lore. Um, but I thought that was interesting that we haven't really talked about it. And when we talk about the Western canon, like, you know, Frankenstein, like who do we really think of? I know, that was the only one I could think of too. <laughs> Or, um, I mean, I guess if he had, if Wishbone had done, like, Little Women or, like, Jane Austen, like, if, if it had gone further, I think it would have, like, if he had, had done more episodes, but I don't think he got, like, really that far into the canon, so. Yeah. Well, but also Wishbone is a boy dog. True. And plays male. Like... That's true. But he usually plays male characters, so, like. Well, he always plays male characters. So I'm thinking, like, if he were in, like, Little Women, he would have to play, like, Laurie or something, and that yeah. wouldn't be the, like, main character. So. And that's a hard, harder one to um, adapt, like, when I think about it. Like, when I think of these things I've written, I've read by women, let's say, pre, like, 1900, um, I do feel like those stories are more complex, which is good for us, the reader, but maybe harder yeah. for, like, a show like this where all the writers have to read the book and then decide how do we like write like a sister like I could probably think of all of sister plot for all the Jane Austen books like in which yeah. like those are going to be really easy um yeah so I'll, the more I read about this author and like the themes in the book um I just got super interested so um and then the other the other thing I wanted to note was that she actually was really well known for her translations and as an editor of a literary magazine. And after she published her first book, um, she actually revealed her identity. Um, and so everybody knew that she was uh, Marian Evans, like writing this book. And she had this really public relationship um, with a man who was married. And um, he was in an open marriage. And 
she and he basically like called themselves married and she like dedicated books to him and referred to him as her husband so just real modern of them i know real the whole everything about her like i was just like okay where's her biopic like where's the becoming jane of becoming george elliott like (laughs) like, i'm ready although you know that actually i just said like how modern of them but i really it reminded me i took a class on dissident sexualities in in undergrad this just like reminds you that like nothing is new nothing is a new idea like yeah. all of these things that we think are modern a modern family a modern like whatever like everyone's been doing it for forever yeah it's just like what what are the like how puritanical are the values of society that you're operating in or well, and how much do you care yeah right? exactly is the other thing yep very true yeah so super interested and um yeah so like i said i got super interested <laughs> get super into this author and we'll talk a little bit more about the story after we talk about the adaptation but I'm pretty excited to get into it. So we start the episode on Joe fixing up his bike, the silent marauder, and Wishbone is just utterly confused about the fact that the bike is upside down. Like we know (laughs) Wishbone and Feeny both don't like wheels, but clearly he's equally confused about what there is to do with the wheels besides be on the wheels. I think that's a fair point. Also, he's just like so distraught with Joe and his like, lack of attention he's mean joe is mean to wishbone he's very mean to wishbone i was very upset i think well i think it shines a light on kind of all dog ownership because i'll be the first to tell you that i find my dog very annoying but (laughs) i would never treat her like joe treats wishbone that was he was super mean it was so weird um and Wishbone also was like indignant. He was like, okay, bro, like, I, I see you, but like, uh, no. <laughs> he was like, your obsession with this possession. That was one thing he said. I thought it was really funny. It was good. The word Wishbone was good in this episode. Like Wishbone yeah. as Wishbone was very good in this episode. I took I took a lot of notes on Wishbone's digressions. Oh, I'm ready to look into it. <laughs> so Sam and David come by on their bikes to hang out, and immediately you notice that everybody looks way older. Um, and there recently was an amazing oral history of Wishbone, which Jillian and I need to discuss at a later date, potentially while recording, because it was so good. Um, and Immediately, everyone looks a little older, and Sam and David say, like, hey, like, do you want to hang out? There's a pickup hockey game. Like, we haven't really hung out with you outside of school, Joe, because you've been, like, trying really hard to earn money for this bike. And Wishbone is like, I know. Like, he doesn't play. He doesn't hang out. All he does is count his money every single night so he can see if he can afford the bike. And I was like, Joe, you silly, silly boy. (laughs) Get a bank account. Stop hiding change under your bed. (laughs) Truly, truly. It was so funny. Um, So Joe's like, no, like, I don't want to just hang out. I want to check out the trails. And he didn't initially, like, invite Sam and David with him, which I thought was super weird because everybody's on their bike. But it's Joe. He's not It's like just one of those things, though. It's just assume that they're going to go with him. Like, they're such good friends. They don't even have to be invited. Yeah, exactly. That's true. That's true. I should have thought about that. But this is very accurate. So they're chatting and 
Ellen comes out and she's like, oh my gosh, like I haven't seen the crew lately. She's like, oh, like the bike looks really great. And this begins just a fantastic exchange between Ellen and Joe and Wishbone. And she's like, oh, the bike looks great. Like, I wish we could say the same about Wishbone. Have you said it? Have you fed him? And Wishbone goes, say it again, Ellen. <laughs> Joe, like, Joe truly is the world's worst dog. <laughs> like, he doesn't fed him. And Ellen gives him this ultimatum after, like, Joe also says, I don't want to walk him. Um, she's like, Wishbone has not been walked all week. And, like, I don't care that you're not interested in it. Like, you run him next to your bike. <laughs> like, it's not that hard. <laughs> Although I would like to point out that this may be where Joe has learned his poor dog ownership because she's like, you don't even have to put him on a leash. Just run along, have him run alongside you and put a leash on later. No. No, no. In reality, dogs do need to be on a leash. All dogs need to be on a leash just in case they get distracted or aggressive or another dog is distracted or aggressive. It's safety. Basic safety. Basic dog ownership. Joe has not learned this. Joe needs to watch like an introduction, like an instruction video on how to be a good owner. I would like to mail him some suggestions. We can do that. (laughs) So the next thing we see is the trio in the woods and Joe is super mad at Wishbone because he can't run fast enough to um, be alongside Joe like biking and Wishbone is gasping and panting and like really struggling. Like that poor little puppy. Like he just, he's so small. He's so small and he's trying so hard to keep up and he just wants to play. And Joe is not on board. And Sam and David are like, we don't have to like speed through everything. Like stop and smell the roses. Like let's just hang out. And Joe's mad because he says his bike was invented and made for racing through the trees. And Joe does a very classic Joe solution to his problem of Wishbone being too slow. He ties Wishbone to a random tree in the woods. <laughs> oh my gosh, Joe. Like, it is just like bad idea after bad idea from this young man. So ridiculous. I mean, at least Alan told him to take the leash because otherwise he would have just been like, Wishbone, sit, sit, stay. And then like, he would have just gone off. Oh my so gosh. This boy, this boy. So, so Wishbone's just like, okay, I guess I'll stay here. And, and the kids bike away. And Wishbone's like, oh, I smell my friend Fritz. He was here. And then one of his friends, Sparky, is also unleashed. And Sparky is hanging out. So Wishbone says, I'm going to hang out. And he pulls out of his collar because of course he does. Joe never learns. <laughs> so... Wishbone ends up in a hole. A hole that looked like a grave. <laughs> it sure did. It was a coffin-shaped hole. And Sparky did not fall in the hole, so that leads me to believe that Wishbone's a big dummy. <laughs> Which, yeah. Even though he's cl- he, Wishbone has book smarts. He doesn't have street smarts. <laughs> Sparky, however, who's always off leash, knows not to fall in a hole. Exactly. Sparky's been in this rodeo before. <laughs> So Wishbone is in this hole, he starts barking, and there's this man nearby admiring the flowers and looking at the plants, and he hears these barks, and he comes over to help. And he's very sarcastic, and I'm like, oh my gosh, and Wishbone is even skeptical, like, is this the person that I really want hanging out with me right now? (laughs) 
But this older gentleman, he, you know, ends up putting a board in the hole so Wishbone can walk up and Wishbone thanks him. And Wishbone says, I'd like to go home and bite the hand that hasn't fed me. <laughs> I wrote that one down too. I thought that was so funny. So good. So good. Oh my gosh. It was so good. And instead, um, this man, we learn his name is Hubert. He's like, you know what? I'll take you home. I'll clean you. Maybe I'll feed you. Like we can find your owner. He makes a little leash out of some rope and he decides to call Wishbone Spot. Go figure. He puts the dog on a leash. He doesn't even own a dog and he knows what to do. I mean, Hubert is clearly a, a cat person once we see his home. He is not a dog person at all. But he put a dog on a leash because he's not a dummy. It's true. It's true. He's not dumb. And I have nothing else to say, but Joe is a terrible pet owner. And this show is basically a treatise on how bad of a pet owner he is. What not to do. <laughs> so um, another thing I thought was really funny after Hubert named him Spot was Wishbone's like, oh, like, you know, what about Butch or Thor? Like, he gives himself, like, these, like, really, like, tough guy names, which I thought was really cute. <laughs> so Hubert takes Wishbone home and he gives him some pot roast or something. And he makes him a little bed out of a box and a blanket. And he says, you know what, like, my wife would have really spoiled you, like, if I brought you home. And, he, and then there's like a really sweet exchange there. And he goes like, you know, you might've noticed that I talk to myself a lot and Wishbone says, doesn't everybody? Which I thought was so cute. <laughs> and he tells us that his wife passed away and it's just been him and his plants because he's a botanist. And he also says to Wishbone, you know, if we don't find your owner, like I'm happy to adopt you and like, you'll have a home here. And we do get to see his home a little bit here. It's got all these plants all over, which the botanist thing explains. And, you know, Jillian said he seems like a cat person <laughs> based on his home. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe he was a cat person. <laughs> maybe <laughs> his wife was the dog person. <laughs> this is not to offend all of my cat people friends. Their houses don't look like that house, which looks like a jungle. But yeah. uh, you could not have a dog in that house because there was no room for a dog, was all I was saying. And a lot of the plants were up high, like hanging on the wall or something. So like, I can't, can't really like climb up the walls, I don't think. They will climb on shelves. Um, but as some of mystical creatures as far as I'm concerned. I don't know how they get where they go. I don't think, and they go up wherever they want to go. I know. So does Phoenix. So I can't really judge. <laughs> <laughs> it's all a mystery does it's all a mystery does oh gosh so then um it's everyone goes to bed you know clearly wishbone has spent the night away from home and joe's up all night looking for him he prints up some flyers with a picture of wishbone now he decides to care right and ellen calls the shelters and even wanda's like i'm gonna go personally to every shelter in town like wishbone really has like made a little impact on this little community and sam says i'm gonna go to school and david's dad is gonna take him downtown to help him like put up flyers and look there which is just like really it's really nice like that everybody is coming or coming together to help find wishbone true and then we see back at Hubert's house, Hubert is making these handwritten flyers and he's gonna, you know, post them at the park. 
Um, so he and Wishbone go to the park and we see Joe like put up a flyer and start to bike away and Wishbone escapes Hubert to run after Joe, his stupid, stupid Joe. <laughs> and both Joe and Hubert hear barking and they go toward the barking and it's Wishbone in this hole again. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh, wishbone. He never learns. Especially as someone who's off-leash as often as he is, just as you pointed <laughs> out. In my notes, there's a sentence that just says, falls in hole again. <laughs> <laughs> Very serious. Yeah, story <laughs> <bit>. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's basically how Hubert reacts, because Hubert's like, I know the drill. <laughs> he puts that board at the edge of the hole again, and wishbone comes up, and Hubert says to Joe, you know, this is a really special dog. You should be more careful. And Joe reveals that it took losing Wishbone to realize how important Wishbone is to him. And so Hubert even says, like, helping or finding Wishbone helped Hubert get his priorities right. And Joe offers dinner at his house, like, as a reward. And the last thing we kind of see before they walk away is Joe left his prized possession, his bike, next to the hole. He was so happy to have Wishbone back. He left it there. And the next day, or sometime later, there's really no sense of time, just like during a pandemic. And <laughs> <laughs> 10 years, 10 minutes, who knows? Who knows? Um, Joe and Wishbone are go to the park and Joe says, I'm going to go do some trails. I know you'll be busy. And Hubert and Wishbone go for a little walk while Joe goes to do his trails. And it was so cute. It was so cute. I'm so happy that Hubert doesn't have to actually get a dog to enjoy a dog. I'm Me too. I, dog died. Yeah, I thought, I, I actually really like this solution a lot. And I don't think Joe came up with it. I think Ellen had and <laughs> 100% and Wanda is probably also trying to date Hubert now yeah I actually at first thought like the first time we saw him at the beginning I thought he was that guy from the very first episode with the violin mm. um because they kind of dress the same like these like ragamuffin <laughs> ragtag men with like a fedora and like a blue hat and, like or blue shirt and like suspenders I thought it was him yeah. at first <laughs> Wanda's rendezvous. Wanda, you know, Wanda knows what she wants and she goes after it. She's got all that money from her art. She can do whatever she wants. She's an <laughs> independent woman. <laughs> I hear her on that front. Yep, yep, I feel you. Yeah, so, you know, that it was pretty cute. Like, um, yeah, it was pretty simple and Joe becomes less of an idiot by the end, which is all we can hope for. What did you yeah. think? I mean, I did, we can talk about this in the key take, well, this isn't my key takeaway, so I'm going to say this now, but I did, like, empathize with Joe um, when he was, like, I didn't realize, like, what I had until it was gone, only because when Feeny was a puppy, um, like, she was, like, a year old, she ate a poisonous stick, and I had to take her to the emergency room, and I was like totally fine until I got into the room and they told me that she might die. And then I started sobbing uncontrollably. And I had spent the past like eight months just like so frustrated with that dog because she was so naughty and just so like unruly all the time. And I was so tired of like raising her by myself. <laughs> and then they were like, she could die. And I was like, oh God. <laughs> 
Like, I just wasn't ready for that. So I can understand it. I think that he should have been a better dog owner. I always think he should be a better dog owner. But I get it a little bit. Yeah, I think that makes sense, that kind of comparison. Like, yeah. So upsetting. At least Sparky had a collar on. It's true. Sparky did have a collar on. So Sparky clearly is like the dog in your neighborhood, Gigi, who has a hole in his fence and just runs off whenever. True. <laughs> just tours around the neighborhood, goes home, does her thing. It's wild. You know, I'm, I'm kind of like that too, so I get it. <laughs> <laughs> so Wishbone and Sparky go off on an adventure and Joe comes back and he's stunned that Wishbone pulled out of his collar. Like, as he's if- pissed is what he is. He's not even just stunned. He's pissed. He's like, you're in big trouble to his little dog. Oh my gosh. And he shouts, like, you better come back right now. But Sam and David are normal, and they're like, wishbone, like, come here, boy. <laughs> and Joe is like, you better come back. Rawr, rawr. It was not cute. Well, Joe rarely is cute. It's true. And, you know, Joe goes home to see, like, maybe wishbone's here. And the, the kind of the last little shot we see of him is him just standing at the end of the cul-de-sac, like, shouting wishbone's name, just being like, where is he? And I'm like, you idiot. <laughs> That's all I could think throughout all of this. All I could think throughout this. So then... We come back to Wishbone and his adventures and Wishbone and Sparky are running around in the park and they run past a sign that we humans notice say that there's water main repairs going on. And then the it park, turns which out, makes no sense. Yeah, in the park. Point. <laughs> you know what? It could be the edge of the park, like where the pavilion <laughs> is. <laughs> It's just like a water park we didn't know about. It is kind of like the opposite of it's better to have loved and lost, right? It's yeah. like, it's kind of saying like, hey, like appreciate what you have while you have it because it is precious. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's talk about Silas Marner, which I actually think is a story go- that goes really well with the wishbone modern story. I agree. Yeah. So let's get into it. So we come across wishbone as Silas walking down a path looking so cute, like <laughs> unbelievably cute in this episode. <laughs> and we learn that he's a linen weaver. He lives alone outside a village. And someone sees him while they're walking to the pub. And in the pub, they're all like talking about him. They're like, oh, he doesn't socialize. He probably just just weaves linen and cords gold all day. That's all he does. And at the pub, we see these two brothers. Uh, we later learn they're le- named Godfrey and Dunstan. And they're just drinking and chatting. And Godfrey says to Dunstan, like, I can't believe you sold the family horse. You lost all this money. Like, what is your problem? And Dunstan says, you know what, just don't worry about it. Like, I know how to get it back. And we see him listening very closely to the fact that the community jokes that Silas is just counting all his gold all day long. So that was very interesting. (laughs) Very interesting. Very interesting. Very ham-handed, but like, well done. A good adaptation. Um, And then... Silas, you know, we see him the next day and 
he's counting his gold and we see him pull it out of his hiding spot by the fireplace. And, um, and that night, the brother we met, Dunstan, sneaks into Silas's house and very quickly finds that hiding spot in that fireplace. I know. Well, I'm just wondering if it's like a tiny studio house, like one room, because he just like does a quick scan. He's like, oh, that brick's out of place. Yoink. Like, that was very impressive. Very impressive. I was like, he must just be used to thievery. Like, it was very impressive. So I don't know any Dunstans, but maybe they are prone to thievery. I only know the Dunstan that checked in. The, the oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know him personally. <laughs> Me either, but I knew of him. And he checked in. Sure did. I watched that flick. I watched it. I couldn't tell you what it was about, but it was definitely about a monkey. About a monkey in a hotel. That's all I know. <laughs> I was wondering what the chick did. I was like, he must be a hotel. <laughs> oh goodness. I feel like also they might have written in the dumb waiter at some point because like every movie that takes place in a hotel, you have to do that. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Um, so. So Dunstan has stolen this money from Silas's hiding spot. And later, you know, it's a crazy storm that night. And Silas, like, whoop, he's a dog. He comes in and he like, <laughs> like, you know what that sound means when a dog is trying to get the water off. <laughs> I also acted it out on the Zoom. <laughs> it's exactly what it sounds like. My favorite dog has large ears like mine. It's very loud. <laughs> uh, so Silas goes he's like oh gosh you know I'm gonna go count my gold and he realizes all his gold is gone OMG so he goes to the pub I and also don't understand why you have to count it every day like don't you just count the new stuff and like keep a running tally like it doesn't multiply overnight maybe he doesn't write down how much he has so he and he doesn't have hands he just has paws he can't hold the pen I get it but like <laughs> I just don't understand like maybe once a month check in and make sure that nothing is out of line. Or like a week. Every week like you're balancing your checkbook. Maybe he really doesn't know how to read and write. Like he could be illiterate. Like in order to weave and like sell your cloth, you don't actually need to know how to write. You just have to just know how to more reasonable. I will accept that as an option. Yeah. And yeah. he is illiterate. Yeah, you really would only need to know like how to count how many rows you've woven. Like you just need to, to know how to count up, really. <laughs> so maybe he doesn't even know how to subtract. <laughs> well, he's starting with a big old goose egg now because Dunstan <laughs> took all his coins. Oh gosh, Jensen took all his coins. So Silas goes to the pub and he announces like, all my gold is gone. And he accuses people in the community of stealing it. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like we were at the pub, like hold your horses. Like we didn't steal it. And he apologizes. He's like, you know what? Like I apologize. I yeah. He's like, I think I'm sorry. Like I'm just, you know, I'm all riled up. Like my gold was stolen. And very uh, mature Silas. Very so mature. mature, like so mature um honest like empathetic like great and <clears throat> even you know amidst all this like emotional turmoil and godfrey one of the brothers we met earlier dunstan's older brother was like you know i bet it was a peddler or a rogue 
and somebody else in the pub says, well, the constable is ill, but he can deputize a number of us and we'll scour the countryside looking. And the first guy Silas accuses just casually picks up a musket that he carries around with him. And he's like, let's go. <laughs> like, I mean, he's, he's like an old timey NRA guy. He like, definitely if it were modern times would have a pistol in his pants. Like he was just ready. He it, was, was ready. it was so wild. So I was like, but but they were all like, let's do this. Let's go out. Like, we'll help you find this gold. Like, somebody's probably stolen it. Let's go get this gold for you. Um, so they look. It was very nice of the townspeople, too. After Silas comes up, they're like, all hot. He's like, ready for a fight. And they're like, dude, it wasn't us, but we'll help you. Yeah, like, it must have been very out of character for him to have been, like, outright accused them, like, so angrily. Because well, I don't think he talks to them at all, right? Yeah. Like, they're like, he just really keeps himself. That's kind of the feeling that I got too. Um, so yeah, so it was really like thought generous of them for them to know like, hey, like he values his gold, like let's help him get it back. So that, I like that. Um, so the Silas and the townspeople search all night and they don't find the gold, they don't find a robber, they don't find anything. So Silas comes home and there's a little orphan girl at his table. Um, it's this little white girl with like really curly blonde hair and he's like oh my gosh like you know I lost my bag of gold but this is gold and he decides you know what like I'll take care of her and we learn um, when a neighbor comes by with her son to kind of chit chat um, Silas adopted her because the little girl's mom died on the road and he had her baptized um, and, you know, the neighbor woman is kind of like helping him be a dad. <laughs> and at the pub, um, Silas and the daughter, Epi, he names her, uh, Hepzibah, after his mom and his sister. Um, at the pub, the community members are like, wow, like Silas lost gold, but he got a daughter the next day. Like, what a loving father he is. And um, she's, she's like dancing with a little child at the pub. Like, I don't know if it's really a pub. Like, it's just so weird that so many children interacting. <laughs> it's like a YMCA or something. I'm not sure. <laughs> exactly. It's the canteen at the YMCA. Like, it was so <laughs> um, And as she dances, as a little Effie dances with the neighbor boy, um, that older brother we met earlier, Godfrey, the older brother of the guy who stole the gold, offers Silas some gold to like raise Effie. And we're like, okay, like, and he has curly blonde hair also. So, you know, we are adults and we can kind of make some connections there. So it's like, okay, okay. So that's interesting. Did you start to like make an assumption there when we saw? Yeah. Yeah. Although per usual when I'm watching time, like, um historic pieces i like could not tell any of the characters apart so then i at first thought that that godfrey guy was dunston i i was confused but i had written down like oh one of these brothers is the dad yeah <laughs> fair <laughs> enough and they didn't give us all the names until later so for me i had to go back and like rewrite the names into my synopsis to yeah i did too <laughs> um so now it's 15 years later, the next time we come across them, and Godfrey is back at Silas's house, and they're just chit-chatting, and he gives him a bunch of gold. And it turns out 
the Godfrey, um, who comes from the family who owns like the most la land in the town. They're the wealthy landowners in the town. He drained a quarry for the land and he found a skeleton of his brother Dunstan holding a bag of gold and his favorite writing crop. So that's how they knew it was Dunstan. And he seemed very chill about finding his brother's skeleton, by the way, which I feel like would be very traumatic. Yeah, it was so wild. He was just like, uh, I guess he drowned. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I guess my brother's an asshole, so I can get your money back. Yeah, and Silas is like, well, yeah, it was like a really stormy night. Like, that's so crazy. But then Silas says, you know what, like, I'll just use this gold to raise Epi. Like, I don't, you know, I gold, like, I'm not obsessed with money I was, how I was before like okay some character growth there um, and then we find out that godfrey had a secret marriage and he is the orphan girl's dad and now he wants epi to come live with him which like whoa that's a lot to lay on a man yeah and you can't just like take some i'm getting ahead of us but you can't just like take a girl who's been like raised by this other person and be like i'm your bio dad so don't worry about it i will just take you now even though you're 18 yeah which like in olden times is like a hundred past marrying age yeah exactly like it was so crazy and um yeah that's it like it was just wild that he was like i guess he was kind of framing it a little bit like oh like i have the means like i can like give her wealth and he didn't like say like dowry explicitly but i'm sure like that might have been implied um but silas says you know what like i can't imagine a life without epi but you know she's 18 like jillian says and let's let her choose for herself so silas says he calls Epi in and he says, you know, I'm not going to stand in your way. I'm just going to tell you some stuff and you decide. Um, Godfrey's your bio dad and, you know, you can live on his estate as a rich person. Um, and it's up to you. And she says, you know, I can't love anyone more than the only father I've ever known, Silas Marner. And she decides to stay with him. And the next thing we see is Epi is marrying the next door neighbor boy, all grown up. And Silas- You had a horrible wig, by the way. It was atrocious. <laughs> it was not good. I think it might be the same wig that was on Dunstan at the beginning, because that was just not a good wig. <laughs> <laughs> it was something else. It was something else. And um, I also like that they put Wishbone on top of a table. So he was <laughs> at eye level. <laughs> talk to the people it was so cute and the wedding must have been in his house because there was a loom and there's like a little boy like playing with the loom so i thought that was so interesting um you know how we've come full circle like this big community event has happened at his house um yeah so before i get into like what actually happened like what did you overall did you feel like this kind of meshed together did the story make sense to you yeah Totally. Yeah, I think, like you said at the top of it, like, they, they really matched the two plot lines really well. And I didn't feel like, sometimes it feels like when they match the two plot lines that the Wishbone plot line is kind of weird to match the book. But I thought that those two were both solid stories, and they went together really well. Yeah, like, they weren't one-for-one -one stories either. It's not like, they weren't exactly the same, which I really liked. And I think the the way that they married each other worked really well. I was just impressed with the writing in this episode. Um, mm -hmm. 
So the real story of Status Corner is really, really similar. Um, some of the like big themes that the author really made sure to address is like industrialism, religion, community, like these are kind of like things that she really made a, a point to focus on. So the beginning of the story, Silas is living in Northern England um, and he's accused of stealing uh, the, like his Calvinist church's congregation funds. And they basically like use a lottery to figure out whether or not he did it, saying like God will be the one who chooses like based on this God lottery. And the lottery says that he did it. So his fiance breaks off his engagement. Um, his best friend marries his fiance. Like Silas is devastated. So he leaves, he's not, he's like, I don't know about God, like this is crazy. So that's why when he moves to the Midlands, to this new town, he doesn't interact with anyone in the community. He's like, I'm just, you know what? I'm just gonna do my thing. And all that stuff with like the, who steals the gold and how his neighborhoods like come and help him, like that really does happen in the book. Um, and then later on, the reason why Godfrey comes to kind of get Epi is um, Godfrey, uh, so Godfrey and his wife have been trying to have kids and they haven't been able to have a kid. And um, Godfrey like reveals to his wife, like, you know what, I actually like have a biological daughter. She lives with Silas. Um, so they want someone to like kind of pass the estate down to. And, um, and Epi decides, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not gonna come. Um, and like because they're like all a big part of the community like it's all everyone's happy and um and Silas even like visits his hometown at the end and there's nobody there it's been replaced with a factory like no one knows what happened to all those people who used to live there um so very very true to the book like really yeah, yeah very very true to the book Good job, Wishbone. <laughs> Good job, Wishbone. Good job, Wishbone writers. Um, but yeah, overall, like, I think to me, for me, even if I hadn't like really dug into the story as much as I did, I thought that the two pieces really matched together. Um, Joe was just such a bad dog owner in this one. It's always a delight to like be able to like <laughs> rip into him a little bit. Um, so there was that, but Overall, I, I just really liked the story and got very interested in this book and um, the like themes and the way that the author like kind of handled things. Um, what about you? What, what, did you like it? Did you like Wishbone in it? Did you like his costumes? <laughs> I always love everything Wishbone does. Yeah. Um, I did like the episode a lot. I thought it was, um, I thought both pieces were super enjoyable and I thought both plot lines were really good, like I said before. Um, I did not do any of the research into Silas Marner that you did, but I think it's super interesting. And I think um, I was kind of bummed that they didn't have one of the like behind the scenes things at the end. I've like become kind of accustomed to them. Me too. Um, so I was kind of bummed about that. I don't know what I was wanting it to be about, but I was I just would have been interested to find out. Um, a little bit more or even if they'd like if they had talked about like pen names or something I don't know something cool that kids could have learned um but other than that it was a pretty flawless wishbone episode didn't particularly hate any of the characters besides Joe so that's yeah. pretty usual <laughs> yeah that's true like everybody was on point everyone was acting in character um 
and it was good. Wishbone had some like awesome digressions. Did you have any more that you took note of that we didn't talk about? No, I think we hit most of them. He was just so great in this episode. He was really, really good in this episode. So good. Um, loved his costumes. He had an unbelievable three-cornered hat as Silas Miller, <laughs> which I adored. Did any other costumes stick out to you? No, but I, I mean, you know I love Wishbone in a hat. I was really into that. Oh, I love it. I love it. I think he might have been wearing a top hat at the wedding. I can't remember. No, I don't think he was. We would have made a note. Yeah, I think I would have noticed that. Um, I did notice during the, like, wishbone plot line with Joe that Ellen had a remarkable cordless phone with the, like, extendable antenna. Did you not notice that? I, I didn't, but I did have one of those. I remember. Oh, yeah, so did I, for sure. I loved it. Me too. Oh, I played with it. I, like, definitely pretended it was, like, a pointer and things like that. Uh-huh. On ours, you could, like, unscrew the antenna from the cordless phone, and then you could just have, like, a stick to hit people with. <laughs> like a Jedi lightsaber. That's amazing. I did, oh, that's really cool. I, I'm delighted to hear all about that. <laughs> what about the fashion? Did anything catch your eye on the wishbone part? Um, I mean, Joe was wearing one of his tall tees again here. The stripes. That boy loves a stripe. It's... And I feel like Ellen had a pretty excellent outfit at one point, very Ellen. Yeah, she had a, like, a long sleeve Henley with, like, a long mom Ellen skirt, which I thought really worked for Ellen in the 90s. Yeah. Other than that, I didn't find anything too remarkable with the fashion. Yeah, my notes say, Joe is Joe. <laughs> Accurate. On all counts. <laughs> And then I also made a two notes. So David is wearing this loud orange printed button-up shirt and pants in this whole episode. Orange pants? No, no, no. The, like he's wearing them with pants. I mean. Oh. But everyone else is wearing shorts. So that was just interesting to me. Well, he's probably trying to not get like a tick bite or something. He's smart. If you're going he's to- He's going to be in the woods. You got to be covered up. He's very smart. So Sam had this billowing sleeveless flannel on over her tank top and shorts, which I loved. Um, She's straight up fashion goals all the time. Yes, she is. Like, she is like, so we all know how the 90s fashion is modern again, because it's all cyclical. It's like on a 20 year cycle. And it looked terrible in the 90s, which you can see from like Ellen and Joe and David, like it's not great. But so much of what Sam is wearing is like the things about 90s fashion that I like, <laughs> that I would wear today. I'm not gonna lie, I was just looking at a flannel hoodie today while I was at work. I was looking at them online and I was like, why do you need this? I don't think I do, but I really wanted it. Sam's influence. Maybe you should get it. it. Wasn't plaid, it was striped. It was pretty cute. Oh, Joe's influence. <laughs> like a Joe Sam combo. Think about it. Think about it. I'm on board. I'm on board. I'm already thinking about it. Don't worry. <laughs> so I'd say, like, in terms of fashion, that's kind of all I caught. But it was yeah. fine. It was pretty standard up. What about 90s references? I felt like there was one really, really big one in this one. Well, besides the cordless phone, which yeah. I really liked. Yeah. 
Um, I did feel like mountain bikes in general were a very 90s reference. Yes, that's what I wrote down. <laughs> I, for my first communion when I was eight, I got my very first mountain bike and it was very exciting. I like, my family has surprised me a handful of times in my life, ever. And this mountain bike was a big surprise. I like walked into the room where we were having my communion party with my best friend on the street. And there was a big bike up on a table and it was so beautiful it was teal and I was like oh my gosh that's such a great bike is that yours and she's like um you know I already have a mountain bike that's obviously yours because why are not still friends and I was like oh my god it's my mountain bike and I was so excited oh my gosh like that story made me so happy <laughs> so i i mountain bikes were such a big thing in this like right around this time because we would have been that age like in the like mid to late 90s and i remember like like i got a magenta one and i really another solid color choice i really wanted like the blue green one like that when you said you got a teal one i was so jealous <laughs> so i really wanted the blue green one so i was always like embarrassed of it it's just stupid and um, but then i realized like after so i moved across town like in middle school i never rode a bike again until like i was in my 20s <laughs> Like, so great. Like, my sister got a bike. Like, she used to ride my bike, and then she got this, like, fancy, like, trek bike because she, like, always rode bikes and stuff like that. It's like, why didn't I ever ride bikes? Like, I never, like, rode my bikes to anybody's house. Like, I don't know. It was just interesting. I, I did it a little bit in middle school, and then, like, maybe rode my bike, like, once in high school. But I really, I stopped riding bikes too. I don't think our, like, our, our culture is like, bikeable. Yeah, like, our friends live yeah, I felt like people either lived in your neighborhood or they lived driving distance away. Like those were the only two options. Yeah. I feel like people didn't really, well, maybe people did bike and I just didn't. <laughs> yeah, in middle school, I used to bike to Lake Michigan with my friends. Like we would bike, I would like bike from my house to another friend's house and then we would bike to another friend's house. Like we would like kind of pick people up along the way. Yeah, that's so cute. It's only like a mile away. <laughs> Yeah, we would bike to the lake. Well, we would bike to Whitefish Bay and buy jelly beans and Orangina. It's just telling somebody. At Winkies? Story. Yeah, we would buy the jelly beans and Winkies, and then we would go to Sendex and buy the Orangina because we had had it in like Spanish it's class. So or something. fancy. And, and we thought it was so fancy. So we would like pool all of our money. And then we would go sit on the beach and eat jelly beans and drink Orangina and probably throw up because that's so much sugar. And, <laughs> and then we would bike home. That's so cute. That's like right out of a YA book. Like, I know. So quaint. So quaint. Wow. You really had some really quaint, like quintessential, like 90s suburbia experiences. Yeah. The yes, mask, I don't know. The jelly beans. Don't be surprised <laughs> if one day I write a YA book and the jelly beans are in there. Because seriously, like the the or you mentioned the orangino is like very very cool. Like when we were in like eighth ninth grade, like it was so so cool. <laughs> it was. Yeah, this was like seventh grade maybe. Like the summer between sixth and seventh grade, I was at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we were really young. Yeah, we were like twelve. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I like, 
that was such a huge thing of the 90s. So I liked that they had like memorialized it in this way. And I also was really impressed because like the writers were like in their 20s, right? So impressed that they like noticed that this cultural touchstone was happening enough that like this is like a thing that would resonate with kids. Um, yeah. It's really impressed. <laughs> so did you have anything else you wanted to talk about with the episodes before we get into our key takeaways? I don't think so. I think that was all of my notes. Yeah, same. No, it's a good, good episodes, solid story, solid, solid choices all around. <laughs> all right. So, Jolyn, did you have any key takeaways from this episode? Um. Well, one of the things that I thought of was, um, you know, Joe gets like really heated because Wishbone runs away, and he gets really mad at Wishbone when it's really his fault. And so I think, like, owning your responsibility and, um, like, one, apologizing. He should have apologized to Wishbone for being a bad dog owner. And he should have apologized for, to Ellen for being a bad kid. And maybe he did that and we just don't know. But also just, like, recognizing, like, you were at fault. Own your, like, own your part in the problem and don't blame other people, I think, is, like, it can be really hard because you don't want to take responsibility, but it's important to like just be an adult and like be mature. I think no matter what age you're at, it's hard to recognize when you have messed up and then also like, sure. articulate that. So yeah, it's something that I work on all the time. Actually, it's like if I have my current boss, I've worked for her for a really long time, and she's really good at apologizing, and I like have really tried to like learn how to do that because it's really important yeah especially for a manager oh yeah for sure it's like parents right like parents who apologize to their kids who say like yeah you're right I was mad and I shouldn't like I overreacted or like I'm sorry you didn't agree with that or like whatever you know like I think it's important yeah definitely and you see that sometimes like on Instagram or something there'll be like a viral video of like a kid saying like you know you should apologize to me and the parent apologizing like yeah it's like such a novel concept sometimes but I'm like yeah like you messed up the kid knows you messed up everyone knows you messed up say you messed up yep. <laughs> but it's hard it's hard um thank you for that Jillian so my key takeaway was really around recognizing what it means to you to be connected to your community um I think this story, both the Wishbone story and the Silas Marner story kind of showed this very explicitly in a lot of ways where when Wishbone went missing, like all the people who like know, know him as part of Joe's life and were a part of his life, like were really went above and beyond to like help out. Um, and with Silas Marner, like when he lost the gold and when he was raising Epi, like people really came together to help him. And it made me think about also like in our current modern era, we're really thinking about like, who are we connected to? What does it mean to reach out to them? Like, why do you reach out to the people you reach out to? And also like where we physically live, like how connected to we, are we to our neighbors and like um, our local government and our local politics and like committees around like your neighborhood and things like that. So it just, um, it made me think about that. Like, how are you connected to your community? Um, and like, what does it mean to have empathy for like the people you're not connected to? Because Silas's neighborhood, like they came around for him 
and they came through for him even when he was someone who like kind of stuck around to himself and in the original like his hometown like when um people thought he stole all that money they were like well god said you stole it bye <laughs> mm-hmm. so that was really interesting to me that's a good point yeah i think i don't know i think in the midst of a pandemic it's easy to see like who is your community and who isn't right like who are the people who are shaming you for not living your life the way they think you should be living your life who are the people who are showing up for you when you really need somebody to show up for you i mean i think like we're simultaneously like more isolated than we've ever been and more connected than we've ever been at the same time and so that really resonates with me so thank you yeah totally thank you well, overall, I think we just had a great, fantastic conversation and a lot of, lot of things to think about. And I think that our two key takeaways are, were very intentionally written into the story by this author, which I think um, is something also to think about too. So I like that. So thank you. Yeah. Did you have a recommendation for our listeners this week? I do have a recommendation. I had to think about this hard because um, as I think we've mentioned, I'm in school full-time and working full-time. So like my ability to consume culture is like none. Um, but I do listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, and one of my favorite podcasts is called Armchair Expert. This is like not novel that I love this podcast. Everyone loves this podcast. Um, and I highly recommend it, whether you love pop culture or not. Um, Dax Shepard and Monica Padman are the hosts and they do such a great job interviewing people. And they ask just really interesting questions and they have a really interesting dynamic as friends and that's more what I'm interested in than necessarily who they're interviewing. But um, Dax Shepard is pretty famous for having 16 years of sobriety and last Friday he released this episode called Day 7 and he talked about how he had relapsed. And it was probably the most powerful 45 minutes of a podcast that I've ever listened to. Um, I have some personal family connection to addiction and I have a lot of trouble empathizing with addiction because of the ways that it's impacted my personal life. And so it's hard for me to like have that perspective in a way that I wish I did. Um, And it really helped. I really like, I thought a lot about how I react to people who are addicts and how I like know in my head that it is a disease and how my emotions don't always reflect that and having empathy for people who are struggling and just trying to do their best every day so it was super powerful and if you're going to listen to 45 minutes of armchair expert that's the 45 minutes i'd pick wow thank you i'm definitely going to look into that and i appreciate the recommendation sounds like a really good episode So my recommendation for this week is uh, children's books. So um, Jillian Jillian and I are kind of at an age where we have a lot of people in our lives who are, who have young children or we meet people who have young children. And I personally have kind of like an arsenal of um, really thoughtful children's books that have been published in the last 10 or so years. 
um, engaging children in topics that are frankly like pretty difficult for adults to reckon with. And part of that is because we have had decades of exposure to different types of thought processes and different, you know, societal norms um, that children don't necessarily have those biases yet. And part of the reason why I'm making this recommendation is the a lot of people don't know how interesting and thoughtful children's book publishing is. Um, it's not as diverse as it should be. Uh, my alma mater, University of Wisconsin, actually publishes a, um, a statistics every single year on the main characters of children's books published in America. There's actually more books about um, inanimate objects and like animals than there are about children of color, um, which whole conversation around that. But um, part of the reason why I'm making this recommendation is this week I learned about this children's book called Rithu Weds Chandani about um, two Indian women who are having a, uh, a Hindu um, wedding and about this little six-year-old girl who's like so excited to go to her cousin's wedding and she has to reckon with the fact that some people don't want these two women to get married to each other and that is a common theme the world over um and you know that that's just not what a children's book would be you know when jillian and i were kids a couple of decades ago like people weren't buying these books publishing these books reading us these books um, yeah, for sure. so just encourage you to go out and look at you know some of these awesome award-winning uh, children's books that are out there and create an arsenal for yourself or for the children in your life. Uh, buy them from a local bookstore. Yes, buy them from the local bookstore. Great, great suggestion. Well, that's all I have for this week. Jillian, did you have anything else to add? No, I think that's it. Thank you all so much for listening. Thanks everyone, bye. Subscribe to What's the Story with Jillian and Shauna wherever you listen to podcasts. Every episode of Wishbone is on YouTube, and we've linked them for you at wishbonepodcast.com. Hope you'll join in.